Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And um, I want to just jump into our Christmas series that we're calling Do You See What I See? by just throwing together maybe a mental picture or story for us. Um, So just imagine, if you will, somebody um, is out shopping. Maybe they're at the mall or maybe they're online, right? Online shoppers, it's okay. God still loves us when we shop online. So anyways, they're shopping and it's like the middle of summer, it's June or July or something like this, and they find a gift that they just know someone's gonna love and want. And so they go ahead and buy that gift and they plan on giving it to them at Christmas time, but it's the middle of summer. So they get this gift home, uh, whether they bring it home or have it shipped, and then they put it in a place where the person that they're buying it for won't find it. You know what I'm talking about? They're hiding it away. So maybe it's a roommate buying a gift for another roommate, maybe a parent buying something for your children or their child. Just so you know, kids find all the presents. Just, I'm telling you, just know that and be okay with it. And they unwrap them all. Anyways, or maybe it's a husband buying a gift for a wife and he's got this gift and he's hiding it maybe in the garage or in the closet where they keep all the winter coats and the gloves. And, uh, but as the winter weather approaches, he has to move the gift around. So he's constantly moving it to make sure that his wife doesn't find it. And then the Christmas season comes. The tree goes up and he takes the gift and he wraps it. And then the day before or whatever, he puts it underneath the tree. And now the spouse, the wife sees the gift and is excited about it. Oh my gosh, what is this? What is this? When did you buy this? I have no idea what's going on with this gift. And at just the appointed time, right? I don't know if it's Christmas Eve. Anyone here who opens gifts on Christmas Eve, right? That lets your kids sleep in on Christmas morning. These are the smart people. Your hands should be up right now, right? This is what we did with our kids. We do not open gifts on Christmas morning. That's for the pagans. I'm just throwing it out there, (laughs) right? The real Christians sleep in on Christmas. (laughs) Anyways, or maybe you open it on Christmas morning. It doesn't matter, but the appointed time comes and the husband hands the gift to his wife and she opens it. And the joy that she has when she opens it. And the joy that he receives for having pulled off this great hidden gift kind of thing. So as we imagine that picture, I'm going to springboard from that little story or narrative into our Christmas series. Again, that we're calling, Do You See What I See? And for these each three weeks, we're going to talk about aspects of that story. This week, I want to talk about the gift that is hidden. And to do so, I do want to also preach some things from the Bible. So if you brought a Bible with you, we'll be turning to some passages in there. But I want you to know this, that, um, and this is no spoiler for the people that are here, I hope not, anyways. But the, the Bible story tells us that there is someone who has a gift for us, right? God the Father has purchased, if you will, a gift for us. And the gift is who? Jesus, right? This shouldn't be a spoiler to anyone. The gift is Jesus for us. And we can see that story being played out in all of scripture. 
But I want us to look at that story of the gift being hidden and what that might look like for us. Now, I don't want you to think for a moment that God somehow like went to the heavenly hobby lobby and picked up some trinket like Jesus and has been holding on to it and is going to give it to us at some time because we know this, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus Christ has existed eternally with God the Father as with the Holy Spirit. But what we're talking about at Christmas time is that Jesus Christ, God, he took on flesh, as Pastor Josh just said earlier, that he took on the form of a man. He left the riches of heaven behind, incarnated himself, putting on flesh and bone and blood and emotion and all of the things that you and I go through as we live our lives. Jesus Christ, the gift that is given to us from God, took on flesh and was born, born of a virgin named Mary and was laid in a manger and just outside of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in a field and the heavens opened up and angelic beings, what angels, what, what? And the heavens just are singing and declaring that this gift has been given. And you know that Jesus is a gift, right? Because when we look to the most famous verse in all of scripture, John chapter three, verse 16, it says this, that God so loved the world that he, what? that he gave his only son and that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would actually gain or have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the gift given to us. But like that gift in the little narrative or story that I said earlier, it was hidden for a while. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. And to do so, I want to get into the story of the Bible. And I use the word story intentionally. I know people get a little nervous when I talk about the Bible being a story I do not think that this story is made up. I think this is a real story. And you can say amen and I'll move on. Amen? Yes, we believe that this is real stuff. And unlike the stories that you and I create, right, in our mind's eye or maybe we put pen to paper, those stories are bound to pages or to the words that we speak. But when God creates and God, the great storyteller, tells a story, he creates with flesh and bone. That he creates with people with tangible things. The stories that we read in scripture are God's creations. Characters come to life. And I would argue that I don't think God is finished telling his story. And I say that because look at all of us in this room. That God has a great story for all of us. Just raise your hand if you think God has a story for you. Yeah. And if you didn't raise your hand, my heart lifted one for you. Hear me when I say this. God has a story for you. You're part of his great story and it involves his son, Jesus. But I want to talk about how God gave his son, Jesus, to the world and maybe start asking some questions about scripture. If you don't know me very well, um, I question a lot of things. When I came into the Christian faith, um, I learned early on that half the stuff that people were preaching, I don't think they believed it that they said things because they learned it in seminary or, or, or Bible study class or whatever, but when you actually pushed in on them, I don't know that they actually believed the things that they were saying, and, and I think that's because they didn't really wrestle with some of the passages. So I've come to the scripture the way I think most children come to their parents when they have questions. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Mom, why does the sun go up? Why does it go down? Why do we put gas in a car? Why don't we use water in a car instead of gasoline? It's a whole lot cheaper, right? All the questions... All that to say, I come to scripture with questions. 
So the question I want to ask first of us is this. Why was Jesus given to us? Have you ever pondered for a moment why? John 3.16, well, he loved us so much. Well, there's an answer. He loved us, but there's, there's something behind, behind that too. There, there's, there's something that Jesus is going to do or has the ability to do that you and I cannot do on our own. There's something that God must give us so that we can be fully complete and live the story that he wants for us. And without him giving Jesus, we live beneath all of that. So why was he given? So we turn to the story Genesis, the book of beginnings. It's in the front of my Bible. It's probably in the front of your Bible, unless you're holding it upside down. <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. But we see this in the beginning, God created everything, the heavens and the earth, the birds, the fish, the sea, the mountains, the sky, everything that lived was created by God. Everything that is was created by God. And he makes mankind, we call the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and he places them in this special place and everything that God has created in this garden in the middle of it called Eden. And Adam and Eve live in unity there with one another, right? Husband and wife living in unity. Sounds like paradise. These are jokes. Moving on. <laughs> but also in unity and harmony with God. That is until one day the Bible tells us that a serpent came to Adam and Eve and began to tempt them. And he tempts them to, to disobey God. God had given them a command to, to follow. Just don't eat of this one tree. And all that to say they, they did eat from this one tree because the servant tempted them. The serpent tempted them to eat from this tree. And when they do so, sin entered into the world, and from sin, death, and, and all of a sudden, things started taking place. God hears of this sin, he catches word of it, and he, began, he comes looking for Adam and Eve, and he finds them, and he asks them what they've done. And they say, well, the serpent tricked us, and all of this and that, and then God speaks some things, and he says, number one, I'm going to destroy the serpent, and we all shout hallelujah for that, and we'll get to reasons why in a moment. So he says he's going to crush the serpent or strike the serpent and kill it. Secondly, he, he says to Adam and Eve that we're, you're going to be banished from me for a while. So he separates humanity from himself and then he curses the earth, the ground. So there's some things that happen because sin entered into the world. But before he does all this stuff, before he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, he says these words, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. God said these words to the serpent. He said, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly shall you go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between, the, uh, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, this offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. In the story, we're introduced to a couple characters. We have Adam and Eve here, and all of a sudden, God begins to promise of an offspring. Um, other translations use the word seed. There's going to be a seed of a woman, a descendant of the woman. And we need to find out who that is, and we'll get to that in a moment. But who is this serpent? Who is this serpent? That's the question I'm, I'm asking now. So let me flip through a couple of verses just to give you an idea who the serpent is. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So there's something that God's going to crush Satan. You guys heard of, have heard of Satan before, but it sounds eerily similar to what he promised in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, moving on to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he... 
himself likewise. So this is, there's the he himself who's sharing in flesh and blood. This is Jesus, spoiler here for you. The he himself partook of the same flesh and blood and through the death, he, Jesus, will destroy the one who has the power of death, who is who? The devil. And one more, everyone's favorite book, the book of Revelation. Or maybe you say Revelations, like you say Kmart's. There is no... <laughs> or Walgreens. Walgreens does have an S in it. They tricked us with that one, didn't they? But if you're like me, you read the book of Revelation next to your remote while you watch the evening news every night. <laughs> I don't watch the news. <laughs> I haven't watched the news for years. Revelation 20, verse 1 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand a key to the bottomless pit. What? And a great chain. What? I have no idea. But verse 2, it says, then he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So the arc of the story from the beginning of the book to the end of the book speaks of a serpent, a Satan, a devil, who is going to be crushed by a he who comes in flesh and blood. And the he is Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And so anyways, you can imagine Adam and Eve being in this place where they've disobeyed God. God has now come to curse the ground, curse the serpent, and then begins to banish them and says, I'm going to do something through your seed or through your offspring. Now we fast forward thousands of years and you and I looking through the cross know that it's Jesus that God is talking about here. But Adam and Eve don't know that. They're in the middle of the story. Adam and Eve are just standing there and God says, listen, I'm going to deal with the serpent who lied to you, right? And your descendant is going to do so. So you can imagine the exaltation of Jubilee and hope that they had when they gave birth to their first son, Cain. Maybe he's the promised one. And if you know the story of Cain, who murdered his younger brother Abel, you know that wasn't the case. But God promised that he's going to send a, a, a promised one. He promised to give me someone who would destroy the serpent, but it wasn't Cain. He's murdered his brother, so that can't be it. And then Cain is banished from their presence as well. So it must be someone else. And then Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And if we follow Seth through scripture, we learn that he, was the, he becomes the ancestor to a man named Noah. If you know the story of Noah and his ark. But Seth wasn't the promised one, and Noah wasn't the promised one, and Noah's the ancestor to a man named Abraham. Maybe you've heard of him. And God gives Abraham promises, too, that sound eerily familiar to us. He says, I'm going to give you a, a seed. I'm going to bless the nations of the earth with your seed, with your offspring. So Abraham wasn't the, the promised one, and his son Isaac wasn't the promised one, nor was his son Jacob, and neither of his 12 sons, like not even Joseph was the promised one. And we find ourselves at the end of the book of Genesis, turning page after page after page, and we never get to the conclusion of what God is doing. Where is this promised one? Where is this gift of salvation, where's this gift of the one who's going to destroy the devil and his tempting, his tempting ways? They wait, in fact, Walter and you summarize this aptly in their commentary on the book of Genesis saying this, that the book of Genesis is in want of a proper ending. Wouldn't you agree? But the book, 
the story, the book may end there, but the story continues and we flip the page and we keep reading. This is what I want us to go to now, that God did promise to send a savior it's through the descendant of, of Eve and Adam, but they had to wait for it. In fact, they died before they saw it come to fruition and many other generations died before. And in fact, I'll go and say this, generation after generation after generation after generation, year, decades turned into hundreds of years and hundreds of years turned into millennia and finally Jesus was born. So here's the question that we ask now. Why did God wait so long? Why did he wait? And not only are we waiting, but while we're waiting, there's these little prophetic promises that we read in the Old Testament where God continues to say, don't forget, don't forget, I'm gonna send one to help you. Don't forget, I'm sending one to help you. But the question that you and I must wrestle with today, why did God keep Jesus hidden away for so long? Why did we have to wait? Why does humanity have to wait to receive Jesus? Uh, that's my thrust. I only have 45 minutes to get it done, so. I think there are many reasons why God waited. And I think the most flippant answer is this. Um, why, why did he wait? When we ask the question, we don't know. We just don't know the answer to this question, <laughs> right? Yeah, whatever. God is smart. We're not. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. All the stuff we can say. But I think there's some other things at play. I think there are a couple of reasons why we know God did wait for so long. And I think the first one is this, is that God wanted us to learn what trust looked like. God wanted us to learn what faithfulness looked like. In 2019, just a couple years ago, this is pre-COVID, so that's like a, a century ago, it feels like. But in 2019, the Pew Research Center surveyed Americans asking this question if they trusted one another. And 79% who responded to the survey said that they did not trust their fellow Americans very high. <laughs> in fact, they had low trust, right? Now, you can nod at me. That's fine. That's, that's fine. I don't trust you either. I'm just saying. And... And here, and here, but here's the scary part. It says, uh, of all those people who responded, 70% said that their lack of trust in one another was the reason that they couldn't solve the problems that we are experiencing in our nation, whether it be socio-political or whatever. That it is, in fact, this lack of trust that is causing us to not be able to work things out. Can't we all just get along? No, we can't, because I don't trust you. Problem is this, is sometimes we take our, our feelings and our disposition towards others and we attribute it to God. I can't trust people because they lie to me. I can't trust people because they break their promises. So then, then God's probably like that too. And we get this backwards. And we do this all the time, especially when we think of things like um, the language that the Bible uses of God being a father. If, if maybe you grew up and you did not have a good relationship with your father, or maybe a father was absent in your life. I don't know. But we bring that sort of baggage, if I can call it that, into our, our Christian life when we begin to read in Scripture that God is, in fact, a father. And, and we have this disconnect because we can't see God as good and loving and great for us because our, our earthly father wasn't so. And we do the same thing, my argument here is in trust, that we don't trust God because we don't trust other people. And I'm telling you, God had us wait for the, the amount of time that we waited so that we would learn what trust looks like. That we'd learn that God is faithful and trustworthy and, and he will do the things that he said he was going to do. And the waiting and the waiting and the waiting proves his point. It proves it for us. Nothing's more clear to me that when God spoke 
in Genesis chapter three, in the beginning, I'm going to destroy the serpent. I'm going to deal with death. I'm going to fix the problem where you and I can't be in relationship with one another. I'm going to bless the earth once again. I'm going to do all of this through someone that I'm going to give to you. And then he fulfills that promise some 4,000 years later. Whenever that was, it blows our mind that God, oh my God, he remembered. Of course he remembered. Because he's a promise maker and a promise keeper. That he's trustworthy, that he's faithful to his words. I was reading uh, on Twitter this morning, Rich Villadas, who's a pastor in the Bronx, New York, who said this about the book of Genesis. This is, it's less a, of a treatise about the scientific understanding of how God created everything, and I agree with that fully, but it's more of a theological pinning of this statement, that when God speaks a word, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Even time. Even time. So the hiddenness of Christ as we waited and we waited and we waited does not mean he's not faithful. In fact, it proves the opposite for us. Leave my notes over here for a moment and talk real with you. But many of us are wondering why God hasn't answered our prayers yet. Why hasn't he responded the way we hoped he would? Why isn't he doing the things like he's done for this person over here that I know? And why, why hasn't it moved in my life that way? I don't know the answers to those questions, but I know this. When you look to the birth of Jesus Christ, when you put a tree up in your house and you put a little star on it and you have little lights and whatever's going on in your house around Christmas time, when you're baking cookies, whatever your thing is, just let all of those things speak to you that God is faithful, God is trustworthy, that he doesn't break promises. And when he says he's going to do something, he does them. And you might not have an answer yet. But he hears you. And he's faithful to move. Why did God keep it hidden so long? Why, did, why was Jesus hidden for so long? To, to prove to us that he's faithful. The second thing that um, we can learn is God wants to teach us something. And by us, I just mean humanity, that we need to understand some things. The best educators know that we learn in multiple ways. We learn through exploration, through imitation, through repetition, through trial and error. And in, in, Bible, in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, when they speak of Jesus, it often, they often use the word rabbi, which is just Hebrew for rabbi or teacher. It just means teacher. And so picture this. Jesus is a teacher who's coming to gather students. When he calls disciples unto himself, he's calling students. Or maybe a better language here would be apprentice. It kind of fits our common culture here now. He's calling apprentices to what? To explore with him. To, to watch him, to do the things that he's done, to imitate him. He, he, in, the, in the New Testament, Jesus tells the disciples to go and do the things that I've done, cast out devils, right? Pray for the sick, heal them, raise the dead, whatever he does. Imitate me, do all the things. And, then, and, and even to trial and error, that there are many things that God asks us to do that we might learn from. Why? Not because it succeeded, but because it wrecked in beautiful fashion. Anyone? Anyway, you got anything you've wrecked recently that's just amazing? You just don't see it as amazing yet. But I assure you, God is revealing something to you in it. Why did we wait so long? Because we had some things to learn. And I think primarily we had to learn this, is that you and I can't hear me when I say this. We can't help ourselves. 
We can't help ourselves. This is why we try and try and try and fail and fail and fail, especially when it comes to the things of, of spiritual living. This is, <laughs> this is the hamster wheel of life, I like to say. It's lather, rinse, repeat. We say, I'll never do that again, and then you do it again next weekend. Anyone? Anyone? Liars, all of you. <laughs> yes. We can't help ourselves. What would it have looked like if Cain was the promised one? They never would have understood waiting. They never would have understand trying and failing. But thousands of years, the nation of Israel, God's people tried and failed. God gave them regulations. We call it the law. It's not just what you can and can't do, but it's also like how to live a life. Like move your life towards these things that'll go better for you and stay away from those things that won't go well for you. And all of that is encompassed in this word, the law. And it was given to God's people so that they would have an abundant life. And inside of the law was also a prescription to deal with the sin issue that they had. Just like Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. Just like you and I, we rebelled against God. And so what God placed inside of the regulations or the law was this idea of a sacrifice. Listen, when you sin against me, just take an innocent animal. This sounds so grotesque, but take an innocent animal, take its life, and use that blood to atone for your sin. Now, know this, God's not forgiving our sins. He's just, he's just judiciously, I can't say that right, but... He, he, he's just, he's, he's looking past our sin because the life has been lost. Okay, long story short. But he put inside of the law a way to have relationship with him through the sacrificial system. But it wasn't enough for us. That God's people would be in right relationship with God for many, many years. God, we love you. We're going to serve you. We'll do whatever you say. And then fast forward 20 years or whatever, they, they forsake God. You can read all about this in the Old Testament, book of Judges, First and Second Samuel, all the his, historical books. But they disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. God turns them over to their wicked ways. He allows usually another nation to come in and punish them or judge them. Then they find themselves upside down and backwards. They're like, oh, God, what happened? We have no idea what happened. We'll never do it again, God. We promise, we promise, we promise. And God goes, okay. And he allows them to come back. Theologically, we call this the cycle of apostasy. It's just over and over and over again. Their life is the same as our life. We keep saying we'll change and we never, ever do. And for 4,000 plus years, we kept living that life. All that to prove this, is that we can't change. You can't. I love you. You can't change. You can't. You've tried. <laughs> You have tried, haven't you? The fact that Christ was hidden for all those years and then finally revealed to us allowed humanity the time to realize we're broke. We a mess, is what the kids say, I think. I have no, like we have no idea what we're doing. God, help us. Help us. He did. It, it makes Christmas cookies smell different. When you know this, do you know what I mean? Like when my wife's up early and she's up early, pray for her. Like five o'clock, she's banging around in the kitchen making stuff for you guys to eat downstairs in a cafe. If you don't take some with you, I'm gonna be so mad at you. <laughs> right? <laughs> you get it, yes. Yeah, we're baking. Anyways, 
So it, it makes it smell different. It makes, it makes decorating Christmas different. It makes the songs that we sing and hum as we shop the stores. For, it makes it all different for me when you, under, when you understand this. That God waited so long so that we could, we could understand that we can't help ourselves. He, he, he waited so long so we could fully understand that he is trustworthy. God hid his greatest gift that was Jesus until just the right time for us. I want to go back to one more passage for you because I want to finish with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews says this. This gets a little heady, so just let me just cook right through it real quick. It says, since the law has but a, a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, that the law, all those traditions, all those regulations that God had placed for them, the sacrificial system, all that stuff, that it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, look at this, it could never make perfect those who draw near. You just can't do it. And so every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take an animal, sacrifice it for the sins of the nation of Israel, right? And they'd go on their way, but they'd come back the same place, same time next year to do the exact same thing because the cycle's broken. But look what it says here, verse two. Otherwise, they would, if, if the animal sacrifice could have made them perfect, they would, have not, they would have ceased to offer them, is what he's saying. But, verse three, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of this. It's a reminder of their sins ever before God, year after year after year. Thomas Lee said this, that the Old Testament law had impressive ceremonies supported by centuries of tradition. And it preserved an awareness, a divine holiness that God is holy, yes. And he revealed the need for our sins to be atoned for. But nevertheless, the repetition of offerings and sacrifices on the Day of Atonement never brought the worshipers into a permanent relationship with God. The Old Testament sacrifices just reminded people of their sins, but did not remove it. God waited so that we could understand that fully. I uh, oftentimes wondered why, um, if you don't know my story, I don't want to bore you with the details, um, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 26. And when I look back on my life, I wish I would have been saved earlier. And some of you might have a similar experience. I did a whole lot of dumb things in my 20s. Um, I'm going to write a book about it and I'll sell it downstairs in the cafe. <laughs> or we'll go one better. If you want to take me out for tacos, I'll tell you all the details. And my calendar is wide open. But I wondered why um, God waited so long for me. And I'm telling you, man, once, once, once I received him and understood it, I don't think I'd change it now. I appreciate it so much better if you, if you knew me before you knew me, like my favorite thing about people who know that I'm a pastor, that knew me growing up, they say this, oh my God, Jeff's a pastor? That's a real thing. I remember sitting in a church balcony. Oh gosh, I'm so far off notes. Is it okay if I do this? Oh, this is... Don't tell me what to do. Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I want to tell you, I just, I just needed the encouragement. <laughs> um, 
I remember sitting in a church balcony talking to a, a dear brother in the Lord who was older than me. I kind of considered him like an elder kind of. And he didn't have official title, no name badge. He I was mean, just a friend. And he's telling me that back in the day, he and a guy he worked with, he did auto body work. I'm not going to give you all the details because you're going to try to figure out who this was. But um, he said, back in the day on our lunch break, me and um, Jim or whatever his name was, we would go to the, to the convenience store and buy a six pack of beer like on lunch break, this is so great, right? Um, and we would troll Milliken's campus looking for girls who were laying out in their bikinis. Okay, right? I'm going, oh my God, what? Did I mention this guy's like an elder in the church to me? And he's telling me this story and I'm just blown away how God comes and rescues people and saves them from themselves. And he does so through Jesus. Just radically changes life. So all that to say this, that I, although I'm, I'm saddened by the things that I did before I knew Jesus, I'm thankful that he's at least redeemed those years in my life. That I've had wonderful opportunities, real stories, to go back to some of the people that I was a buffoon with and apologize to them. <laughs> Christ, the gift hidden, hidden, so that we would know that God is faithful and trustworthy, that he never breaks promises. If he's promised you something, I assure you, he's not going to break his promise to you and to teach us that we cannot help ourselves, that we need someone to help us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the Christmas season. God, I ask, would you help the cookies smell different for us this year? May we have the aroma of salvation in every Christmas cookie and baked good. May we hear the angels singing from the heavens when we, when we join in the melody at Hobby Lobby coming through the speakers. Hark the herald angels sing. Real stories, God, that took place that showed that you are a gift giver, that you love the world so much that you would give your only son to save us even from ourselves. And we thank you for that this Christmas season. God, would you open our eyes even more so now to see this reality? Help us to see each other and ourselves the way you see us and help us to see who you are more clearly, that you're good, that you love us, that you're not mad at us, <laughs> that you want us to, to receive the free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that. God, would you continue to bless our time together? Would you continue to remind your people of of the magnitude of the gift that was Jesus? Would you continue to just unfold layer after layer of your great love for us? Would you continue to remind us of the, the, the lengths that you went to redeem us and to save us? Would you continue to show us? God, I know, I know many of us have been Christians for a long time, but God, I pray, would you make it brand new for us today? Would you open our eyes to see it all again, God? because we want to see it the way you see it, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 